This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. There's no special announcements or anything, so let's jump right in. First up, last Wednesday, I did a live interview with Mike Chi, the creator of the RetroTink products. And we'd done a few interviews in the past, but this is the first one that we were able to do live. And it was a blast. I love doing live interview podcast thingies, however you want to call them, two, two friends talking, whatever. But I really enjoyed doing those. Mike was great, answered everybody's questions. We got a lot of insight as to the RetroTank 5X's operations and its history and how it came about. So if you're interested in any of that stuff, please give it a listen or watch. It's available on every podcast platform except iTunes. I'm still trying to figure that out, uh, as well as all the video services as well. Um, and if you want more history on Mike or anything, check out the previous interview that we did. The in-person one, I think, dug into Mike's history and stuff like that. And the first one, I think, focused mostly on the RetroTink 2X original. Uh, so either way, if you want more info on any of these awesome products that Mike's been making, please give it a listen. Um, as always, you know, whatever is the easiest way for you to listen to this podcast or any of the other ones that I do is the right answer. It's very cool to see you know, lots of clicks on YouTube videos, but the bottom line is I really only care about what's the easiest for everybody. So throw it on in your car or, you know, on your walk or bike ride or subway commute or whatever else, and just put your headphones in and kind of sit back and listen. And hopefully uh, the only downside of live is whenever there's lots of noise outside, uh, I can't really just stop it and wait for the siren to go by. I try to work my volume levels locally, but can't always do it. So excuse the scream sirens and murders that you often hear in these videos. <laughs> Kevin Millett, the creator of the HyperFlash 32 Dreamcast link cable and a million other awesome things, has launched an official web store, RetroOnyx.com, which is also, I believe, his screen name on Twitter. Uh, and it's basically just an easier way to buy his products. Before, you had to email him. And for some of the very niche stuff, it wasn't that big a deal because they'd probably only be able to sell a chunk at a time. Um, but now with with his products getting a lot more popular, it made sense to have a web store. So there are sections for Virtual Boy, Dreamcast, Wonderswan, and, you know, a, a miscellaneous section for a lot of the other craziness that Kevin comes up with. But I just think this is pretty cool because um, I really was a fan of pretty much all of his products. But the, the two favorites, obviously, are the HyperFlash 32. I love that thing. Uh, and the Dreamcast link cable was way more fun than I would have expected. Uh, so if you want to check those out, check out the link to his store. I have um, links in this description to both the HyperFlash 32 launch video and the live stream I did with Destiny testing the Dreamcast link cable. Once again, that was where we had just a million technical difficulties. And by we, I mean me. I set it up wrong. <laughs> I used the wrong capture card because I needed to use a laptop, not a desktop. Uh, but we made it through it, and it was... Um, some of the link cable experience were way more fun than I expected, especially the uh, virtual on game. That was really cool. I, you know, if I ever have more space to put stuff, I would love to get those virtual on controllers, those giant things, which, you know, 
If you don't have space, it's kind of useless because you have a giant controller for one game that is most fun when you play with other people. But if I ever move into a spot where I actually have storage space, I would totally pick one up just for the heck of it. Just for the once a year that I've had people over to play that game. It seems pretty cool. Greg from LaserBear has just posted a new product that is essentially a replacement battery door for the Sega Saturn that incorporates an optical audio jack. So this now marks the first time you could do a no-cut digital audio mod for it, which is awesome because I'm definitely a big fan of those. Um, uh, I spoke with Artemio of the MD4EA team who did remind me that sometimes these digital mods bypass the filtering for some of the analog audio, so it could change the sound of the game. That's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. It's just something to note. For Super Nintendo, I loved it because you get zero analog hum from using these. So if you're using your TV speakers or something, you might not even notice a difference, but if you have it through a surround sound system or especially some kind of headphones, you'd almost definitely notice because there's just no analog noise floor on there. So the optical mod itself, I think, is very cool. The fact that you don't have to cut your Saturn, I think, is even awesomer. Uh, Awesomer? Is that even a thing? But uh, the digital audio kit is separate. Will's console mod sells it. You could make your own from scratch with a do-it-yourself board that I believe Dan Citrus 3000 PSI posted a while back. So this is just the door and the jack. The only problem with this is that, um, and please excuse these pictures. I took these when I was mid-Rona and and could barely even see, let alone try to take a good picture and solder. But um, this picture shows the back of it with a connector. Greg's selling it with everything in, uh, incorporated in. And a uh, actually, you can see in this picture below if you're watching. And an an already wired cable with a plug on it. So you could essentially just run the other end of this to wherever you mounted the optical audio mod itself and then use this to plug it in if you wanted to. Um, I didn't have the energy to do that when I took this pick. So I cut the end off, uh, spliced mine in, and then put some non-conductive tape over it just to make sure. So it's really terrible that I use this as an example in the post. I did warn everybody in big you know, big block letters, please ignore the tape in this picture. This is not what Greg sells. That's just what I had to do to test it. But uh, the only downside is that it will not fit with the Satiator or the MPEG card in. And it's partially because of the jack, but also because the orientation of the actual SPDIF adapter is... Uh, is done in a way where it looks really cool on the outside and it makes it easy to plug everything in, but it still is inside a little bit. So if enough people want, Greg said he would modify it and make a version specifically for people who use the Satiator and the MPEG card. If you don't use those at all, this is just a, a perfect way of doing it. And, you know... I do want to, I won't go long on this, I promise, but I do want to just reiterate again how important no-cut mods are because you can't put the plastic back the way it was. So when I showed off a friend's clear case and I had cut the whole, um, I, I made the big point of, I even felt bad cutting the whole of the clear case, but you could always just order another one if it was really important to you. Whereas they don't make these original cases anymore. And I've seen so many consoles over the years with a brand new composite video mod with the holes drilled in the back, because of course you would want a composite video mod because you don't need to worry about custom cables. And then a couple of years later, there's just a bunch of holes in the back of the console because now there's just an RGB mod and you don't need any of the other mods for it. So 
you know, I, I definitely want to push the point of don't cut your consoles if you don't have to, especially when there's people like Greg out there making a bunch of no-cut mods for a bunch of different consoles. So you could just, if you ever decide to put it back to stock or upgrade the mod or change it, you don't have to worry about it. So uh, thanks to Greg for always making stuff like this and uh, definitely check it out if you were interested in doing that mod to your Saturn. Last weekend, I posted a video that just walks you through how to update the firmware on your RetroTINK products. Um, this was more of a utility video than a big flashy product release or anything like that. Um, but it's something that I've been wanting to do for a long time because while updating your RetroTINKs is super easy, much like everything else in the world, the first time you do it, it's kind of like, wait, what do I have to do again? Why do I have to do that first? Why? So I just uh, ran through the video uh, and once you watch the video, it's only like six minutes long, and then once you set it up yourself, after you get it, you know, get the flow of it the first time, any time you need to upgrade after that is about a minute, two minutes if you're using a RetroTINK 5X. So, because uh, the 5X is a lot more code, so it takes longer to flash. So just leave it running, walk away, come back. But overall, it's super easy. I just wanted something that I could embed in all of my posts. So, you know, update your firmware this way. I actually used to use Scarlet Sprite's video, but obviously with the RetroTINK 5X coming out, I wanted to include, or out, I wanted to include that as well. So no, no disrespect whatsoever to Joe. His was a great video. I just wanted one that I could embed in everything that I do that's talking about RetroTINK updates so people could have a really easy way to go, oh, cool update, how do I do that? Oh, it's right here. So hopefully this is a help to people. Um, also, I, I will wholeheartedly admit that it was very nice to spend one full day on a video, not five full days in a video. So <laughs> it was cool to have a much more laid back one. Uh, I don't know if anything, uh, I might even just do a live stream this weekend. I don't know if I'm going to have time to do another higher production video, but I'm going to keep, keep grinding forward and, and hopefully keep getting content out for everybody. But if you want just an easy video to watch, to teach you how to, um, how to take care of your and update your retro tank products, check this one out. Here is a very cool story that I am very proud and grateful that I get to tell. This is the opposite of drama, so please strap in and listen to this one, because I, I just, I love this story. Uh, in March, the Twitter account Forest of Illusion, uh, who are really known for kind of finding unreleased games and getting them out to the public, posted a tweet about an SA1 demonstration cartridge. So SA1 is the expansion chip used in some Super Nintendo games, and the ROM hacker Vitor Vilela had used that to enhance other games uh, and really to learn more about how you could improve the whole process of Super Nintendo games. We've covered it since he started, um, and uh, as soon as everybody saw that, I think everybody immediately went, Vitor! I guess he retweeted that, which um, I was able to see and thought, oh man, it would be really cool if we can get one of these demo carts to Vitor so he could take it apart, you know, both physically and software wise, see how it works and see if he could use any of that knowledge to enhance his hacks or make new things. So uh, I was able to speak to somebody, an anonymous donor, let's just say, who completely understood no, no real... Um, you know, no real explanation was needed. It was just one of these things where it was like, hey, we, you know, we should get this to Vitor. Yes, absolutely. I'll buy it for you. So the anonymous donor bought this, um, asked me to pick it up. Uh, and I decided, I think we all kind of decided to have it shipped to me first because it was in the U.S. So let's just get it to me. I can make sure it's packed right, which it wasn't. It was just basically thrown in a box. Um, 
and then I could try to dump the ROM, and then I could send the whole thing to Vitor, and that way if something happens in shipping, it stinks, but it's not the end of the world. And that's exactly what happened. I was able to get it. Uh, I don't own a Super Antis, but I was lucky enough to borrow Destinies. I was able to just dump that ROM, and it didn't work. And I went, oh man, what am I going to do? Do I have to... You know, do I have to get a ROM chip reader and pull the ROMs out and read them that way? Uh, you know, did I somehow do it wrong? Because the card itself works. And I ended up sending the files to Vitor, who said, no, it just needs a different header. And he totally fixed it. Now you could download those and try them yourself. Um, it's not a game. It is just a, a demo. But it is kind of neat because it shows you rotation of stuff and, and everything else. Uh, so that's all released. Um Thanks to Forest of Illusion making us aware of this. And of course, the anonymous donor who actually made it happen. We now all have this. And not only did Vitor find a bunch of stuff in there, but as we posted this and kind of promoted it, other people were taking a look and found other assets in there that had never been found in a Nintendo card as well. So whether that's going to end up being something, I don't know. But the goal of preserving this and getting it into the hands of the right people has absolutely been accomplished. And I'm just so happy that uh, that I get to say that. So I repacked it in uh, uh, anti-static bag and then wrapped that in anti-static bubble wrap and then got that all boxed up and sent to him. So it'll probably take a month to get there just because of shipping. But uh, mission accomplished. Very cool story. Thank you so much to the donor. Thanks to Forest of Illusion. Of course, thanks to Vitor uh, and really everybody that gets involved in all of this stuff. So... Um, if you'd like more info, check out the post, but most importantly, check out Vitor's post because his post on Patreon went into very deep detail about what this is, what you can do with it. Um, I'm really just promoting the positive. Don't we have a really awesome retro gaming community side of things? If you want the nerd side, go to Vitor's post and get a lot of data on it or just, you know, download the ROM here. Try it out on Mister or something and, and see what you, what you think about it. Also, I was so excited to get this sent out. Um, all I had was my cell phone picture of it. I forgot to put this in a white box and take really high-quality pics. But I think the PCB itself, I think it's good enough for people to just get a sense of what the cart looked like. Uh, sorry, I, I just I was too excited and completely forgot. But anyway, awesome story. So happy I got to be even the smallest part of it. And uh, now another piece of weird history has been preserved. So when you first hear and see this next post, I'm sure you're going to rightfully assume that it's for super nerds only, but this actually applies to anybody who wants to capture footage from video game consoles. Uh, I updated a guide and wrote a whole other guide on my new method for capturing game video because the older methods that I was using started to get a little crazy. Uh, Amarek kept flipping the video over and it would work perfect on one machine but not the other and then stop working. That was kind of terrible. Um, a customized OBS version that someone made for me worked perfect for a year and then stopped working. Uh, and it's a portable version, so something else in my computer had to have messed that up. Uh, but now, thanks to Extrems and the good people on the R3 Discord, I was able to use Virtual Dub 2. And I think it has uh, an audio bug in it, but I haven't run into that yet. And everything about it is much smoother and easier to use, as long as you, you just follow the guide. You know, if you just start trying to figure it out yourself, you're going to have the same problems I did. But just follow the guide in the right steps, and everything will just perfectly fall into place and the good news about it is if you want to you could install a codec like x264 and have a small good compressed capture that's still really high quality but also if you're using uncompressed which i think most creators probably would because now you get your raw image 
put it in your video editing software, and then it's now only compressed twice. Once when it leaves your video editing software, and then once when you put it on YouTube or whatever share service you use. Whereas before, it, you know, it's compressed when you capture it, it's compressed in your software, and then a third time. So you could really preserve a lot more of the look that you're going for. But the codec that, that's used, uh, FFV1, it's part of the Virtual Dub 2 software, which is no installation required. It's also a portable version. So you just extract this to a folder and run it. But that means that if anything ever goes wrong, delete the folder, re-extract it again, and you don't have to worry about something else in your computer messing it up. So it solves that problem. But also, the files that are created with FFV1 are so much smaller than the ones that uh, the previous method, UT video that I, uh, OBS with UT video that I was using made. And it's the same theory as about as bitmap to PNG. The capture experts are probably rolling their eyes when I say that, but it's a decent analogy in that in almost every case that I've seen, or at least every case that I've seen, you could take a bitmap image and a PNG of the same thing, zoom in 10,000 times and it's identical. And that's the same here. And at least for the, my purposes, I was able to test, and I even added this as part of the guide, but I took a direct screenshot using my capture card software. Then I captured a few seconds of video with this and grabbed a screenshot from that and zoomed in you know, 10,000% and it was identical, no difference. So I think that's I finally found a method that's the most solid I've ever found. And the other big benefit of that codec is it worked in Premiere without adding anything else. And it also worked in my two favorite players, VLC and Media Player Classic. I actually only use portable versions of those for the same reason. I don't like installing stuff on my computer. I have trust issues. I've been doing IT stuff since I was like 16 years old. Of course I have trust issues with installing programs. So now everything that you need to work on this stuff is all portable apps. You don't need to rely on anything else, and it worked great. So um, I, I really do think if you're somebody... Well, you know, to clarify, if you're somebody who just wants to capture some game footage because you need some B-roll for some videos and, you know, uh, you just kind of want to add... Uh, some, you know, some awesomeness to whatever you're working on, use whatever's the easiest for you, you know, but if you're trying to do something like video comparison shots, or you're really trying to truly represent the look of a game, then you really should take the time to look into stuff like that. Uh, get a decent capture card, you don't need to get the best, but, you know, get one where you could capture at 480p with uncompressed colors, and then just scale that in post or something like that. And in fact, this guy even works with direct RGB capture. So uh, I'm definitely happy that I'm moving on to this. Hopefully this will help me avoid mistakes like I made with that couple seconds of the retro tank video. I go into detail on that here for anybody that cares. Most won't. I mean that with love and respect. <laughs> but uh, anybody that's interested, check this out, the post out for the full backstory, as well as links to everything. Um, and of course, links to the guide itself. The 240p test suite team has just posted a bunch of new versions of the software that include a new monoscope test pattern, which was created by Keith Rainey. And this pattern is meant to help calibrate CRTs even better than before with a standard grid pattern by adding different things in there so that you could really see how the full convergence and geometry of the CRT is affecting the image. So anybody that calibrates CRTs is probably loving this, just hearing that this pattern's on here. Uh, calibrating CRTs is rough, so any tool that you could have to make that experience less painful is always really appreciated. There's a ton more details about this um, in this post here for anybody that's interested in exactly what this is, why you would need it, and, uh, and kind of different ways to use it. 
the 240p team also posted that stuff uh, uh their own take on this on their patreon pages as well so if you're somebody that that needs test patterns please check this out because 240p test suite is always free and the team is amazing and always adding new stuff so this is something that all of us can uh can benefit benefit from and also i wanted to welcome steve from retrotech usa uh for his first post here i've been you know buddies with steve for a while now i've talked to him on a regular basis got a couple crts modded from him uh, and he adds a lot of knowledge to the community and while i've definitely talked about his videos before some of them are a little bit more on the expert side and i just respectfully don't want to don't want to confuse beginners getting into this uh, i honestly mean that in a positive way so i try to promote his more like general videos but stuff like this i think is excellent and he adds a lot of great perspective on this in his post because he does a lot of crt calibration himself so having yet another amazing contributor to the site that could add a unique perspective is really awesome and i'm very very happy to have him on so thank you very much steve and uh, anybody that's interested in this definitely check out the post Ashenworks is now selling a power supply meant for super guns, and I have a lot of good things to say about this and a couple of scenarios in which it might not be the best fit for you, but let me run through and give you the full uh, specs on it. It is, I believe, a Meanwell RT85 PSU. It's definitely a Meanwell, which is a really high quality arcade PSU in a very nice case that on the front or, or back, however you want to say it, has an AC input with a switch, uh, a voltmeter with a dial to adjust voltage, as well as screw terminals that are also properly covered so you don't, can't accidentally put your hand on it or something, and another jack that allows for pre-made cables. Uh, on the inside, you can see the mounting of the Meanwell PSU as well as mounted to another PCB, and it's fully enclosed in a case that's ventilated. So the case is bigger than the power supply which is good for airflow but it's not so big that it's obtrusive but it really feels like a pro power supply you know it, it just it's solid in a case it looks like a pro piece of equipment it really is something awesome for people that want to use this now the uh, the ports on it allow or the one port on it allows for custom cables so you could uh, either just make your own you could use the screw terminals to make your own or you could buy extra ones from ashen for uh, he has one for his own custom ps or a custom super gun which i'll be reviewing that probably by next week uh, one for the Hass, which also works on a lot of other super gun projects that use the same power supply input and i believe he'll soon be listing one that'll fit the minigun or shogun which should i believe use the exact same type of uh, power pinout. It's kind of like the same six pin you'd see on graphics cards type of thing. Uh, so you could make your own, you could buy the nice pre-made cables, which uh, I was able to try try it out and they're, they're really good quality. So I was definitely happy with it. Total price for this would be $95 plus shipping for one cable and this box, which is both 100% fair or, respectfully, useless for certain scenarios. And those scenarios might be like my mini Mr. Cade. I just mounted that meanwhile power supply directly to the wooden uh, board inside. I, you know, just direct wired everything, and there would be no reason for anybody to use anything more than that. And I'm sure Ashen would agree with that too, by the way. But so if you're doing an internal installation i don't think there's a reason for this at all or if for whatever reason you're putting it in a very hot enclosed area and you need the most amount of uh, of airflow possible i can't really think of a scenario that that would be it but the price itself if you think about what you're getting is definitely fair if you actually need an enclosed power supply and 
I think uh, to compare it, to put together a kit uh, with a Meanwell power supply and a 3D printed case, you're going to buy the power supply, which depending on where you get it from and when, it's between 30 and 60 But some of those stores charge $15, $16 for shipping, while the, the higher priced ones are often free shipping. So minimum, I would say 40 bucks, unless you happen to find one on sale or, or at a store with free shipping or something. And then in most cases, you would want at least the 3D printed cover for it, unless you're doing an internal install like I just talked about in the mini Mr. Cade. But if you're going to be using it with super guns outside, you're definitely going to want a case because you get the benefit of the power switch. You could cover all the ports. You could have everything kind of tied in very nicely. And if you want one of those pre-made, I think it's like... um, I think it was like 40 bucks uh, for one with a good uh, a good quality power cable as well. So while that's a fair price, now that's you're approaching the same price as the Ashenworks case. And if you need to make your own, unless you happen to have all the parts lying around, you would either have to print your own, you know, which you have to pay for the cost of print material, but then you need to buy the switch, you need to buy the internal cable, you need to buy the jack. And if the same store doesn't sell all of those. By the time you're done with shipping, you're spending more than you would have if you just bought the pre-made one. And that's why the pre-made ones are so cheap because the people who make them just buy them 20 at a time. So, you know, it doesn't, you get that discount there. So I wanted to say that not because I'm talking bad about the Meanwell 3D printed case. I love it and own one myself. And not because I'm trying to push people to buy the Ashenworks one. I kind of wanted to just cut the trolls off before they even had a chance to talk because I could totally see somebody saying, I'm not paying $80 for a $30 PSU wrapped in a case. It's not what you're getting. You're not, that's not what it is. You're getting a really high quality thing that if you needed it enclosed is going to be about the same price before shipping. Shipping obviously would vary, but so overall, I really like it. Um, I like both of these solutions, actually. I like just the 3D printed one and I like Ashen's power supply. But if you were really looking for something that is just an enclosed pro feeling case, this is probably the one to buy. Um, or both. If you're somebody with a whole bunch of super guns and you're constantly, you know, flipping between them, uh, I would get one of each then and, and just choose whichever's right for your scenario. Uh, you know, I, I know that's pretty. It might sound weird to just say, oh, yeah, throw money around and grab a couple of something. But if you're an arcade collector with 10, 20, 30 boards, I think you probably already thought I'll get this too as a second or third or something like that. Um, so I, I'm going to be reviewing a few more of Ashenworks products. I did buy the super gun that I did preliminary testing on, and it was cool. But as with every super gun, there's some ups and downs. So I'll hopefully get to that next week. I don't know if I'll be able to do a video on that, so hopefully stuff like this is good enough. Otherwise, I guess I could do a separate video talking like this with maybe some B-roll over it, but I don't know if that's what you all would want. So if you have an opinion on that, please please post in the comments. I always listen. I don't always agree, no offense, but I do always listen. So maybe stuff like this that I have to talk a little bit longer about because I want to talk longer about would fit in a separate video kind of like having it here for everybody, but I would definitely like to hear your opinions. Either way, please check out the post. There's now a really interesting port of Super Mario 64 that has integrated ray tracing. So a little bit of background on this. A while back, the source code for Super Mario 64 was fully reverse engineered uh, compared to the original and found to be a perfect match, which means that now with the source code, you could do things like add higher definition assets to it. You could change the game around any way you'd like. You could render it in higher definition all on a PC in order to uh, to get the full power out of it. 
And people have been doing that for a while now and have gotten, uh, we talked about compiling it using a different method to get better performance. We've talked about different changes. Uh, and this one adds ray tracing to it, but not just things like lighting and shadows, but path tracing, which is essentially a way of rendering it uh, rendering global illumination using ray tracing. And the developer, Dario Samo, has done that, released a full mod, and now anybody could try this out. You basically just need to find yourself a ROM of Mario 64 that you legally dumped from your own cart, um, and then combine it with this, compile it, and now you could get it all running. And it looks really, really impressive. Just the thought of a game from the early 90s being rendered in this level of detail is absolutely awesome. So if you want uh, any more info on it, please check out Chris's post. He goes through and, and shows pretty much everything you could need to get started and sends you in the right direction for links. Uh, and this is something that if I have time to, I would really love to take a look at just because it's it's so neat to see such an iconic game in a completely different way but the same game. So if you're a Mario 64 fan or just a fellow nerd that likes weird stuff like this, please give this a look. Before I go, I want to talk about and promote two Twitter accounts that are both dedicated to posting pictures of CRTs, but they each have their own unique spin on it. I've been following one for almost a year since uh, since they first came out, and I've been trying to find a way to talk about it, but they don't do anything that's directly related to retro RGB, so I've retweeted a few times and stuff like that, but unfortunately, some negativity happened on Twitter. What a shock there. Uh, and I, I just wanted to make sure to clarify which account was which uh, and talk about the positive side of both of them. There really is mostly positive, like 99%. So I'll start with the one I've been following for the longest, CRTBot2. It's C at CRT underscore bot and the number two. And the first sentence of the profile describes it all. Just a bot that posts CRT TV and monitors. And that's it. So the only criteria for these pictures is there has to be a CRT in the picture. And that's it. And that allows so much weirdness and coolness on here and it also um it doesn't leave anything for interpretation because there's no agenda it's just here's a picture of a crt maybe it's in the background of a movie maybe somebody tried to build a you know an archway using crts like the one i'm looking at now and for whatever weird reason this this account just cheers me up all the time you know I'll, you get stuck scrolling through awfulness on twitter and then poof here's a weird old crt i've never seen before so uh, i'm assuming people that that listen to this podcast would probably be interested as well if you're on twitter so i definitely recommend this one um, the other one is good too. I just think before looking at the pictures, you need to understand what the purpose of the account is, which is definitely the problem I had because I didn't understand that at all. And I heard it from about it from a totally different perspective. But I'll tell you the, the real uh, use of this account. I spoke to the person that runs it. Very nice, uh, you know, easy conversation. And the whole purpose of this is the same as CRT Bot 2 in that here's a bunch of CRT pics, but also next to an LCD. So it's not supposed to be a technical analysis of this stuff. It's just supposed to be a fun perspective of look at how wildly different this same game from the same console could look on the display that they were designed on versus modern displays. And it's not necessarily a deep analysis. It's just more like, hey, here's a picture of two things side by side. Hey, I'm going to try a side angle now. Uh, so it looks 
terrible because you have the, you know, LCDs often don't have good viewing angles, but that's part of the, that's part of the point is this wasn't a, Hey, I want to show you how accurate or inaccurate my calibrated LCD was. It's just, look, you could see the CRT perfect from the side and not the LCD. So there's a bunch of really great things about this. Uh, and honestly, the only issue that I had is because of how I was introduced to it and the description didn't really help. Their profile pic or, or description is CRT video game propaganda celebrating and comparing the way retro game visuals were designed to look. Kind of doesn't really explain the purpose of this and I didn't know that it came from so much positivity and the way I was introduced to the site is a bunch of let's just say developers and content creators messaged me like hey what's up with this twitter account crt pixels it's been blowing up they've only been out for like a month they got you know twenty thousand followers and i'm getting a bunch of hate messages and to kind of put that into perspective imagine you're somebody who whose hobby is dumping a ton of hours in an open source emulation project and you have somebody send you one of these tweets and say, your emulator is complete shit. Look at how inaccurate the color is. CRT is for the win. Or on the other side, if you're a content creator that just spent a week of your life, you know, making a video that shows how to calibrate something on a CRT or rebuild the CRT, and you get a ton of people messaging you, CRTs are shit. Look how good this emulator picture is. You know, your work is useless. Or even for me, you know, when I did my comparison shots on the website, which I still do, I spend an insane amount of time trying to get it perfectly accurate when necessary. And I, I interpreted this as like, what the heck is this? Why so many people are getting upset about this thing. And it's, they're not even taking the time to make sure the comparisons line up. And it wasn't until I spoke to the person that, that runs it where I realized that was never the intent. Their intent was much more lighthearted and happy and, and positive. So I had a few negative things to say about it, which I, you know, I, I stand by from that perspective. But once I just learned what it was, it totally makes a lot of sense, and I wanted to share it with everybody. Probably no need, because they have a ton of followers, and you've probably already heard them, but I definitely wanted to clarify what, you you know, depending on who, who you follow, what side of this you listen to. Um, I do, I, I did strongly suggest that they update, at the very least, their description, um, and, and maybe add some kind of disclaimer link in the description so you could read about what it is that they do. I'd be happy to host that if they needed it, of course. Well, that's it for this week. Sorry for no outro segment. That kind of got messed up this week, but uh, I'll continue to do those again. Just wanted to, as always, thank everybody for watching, listening, playing nicely in the comments, and of course, thank you to everybody that supports. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week.